Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Greg Pickett. Welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Hey, today I've got uh, Jason Roncaroni with me. He is the president of Ordinary Hero Coaching. He is a, a business coach who helps uh, business leaders, transitioning executives, transitioning military personnel, um, define their careers, and helps get them to the next uh, level. Jason's a, uh, a combat-decorated uh, military helicopter pilot. He also earned his MBA from uh, University of North Carolina uh, School of Business, and uh, we're thrilled to have him here. Hey, Jason, how are you? I'm doing great, Craig, and thank you for uh, having me on your podcast today. So you're, uh, yeah, as we were talking about offline, you're, uh, you're helping a lot of executives, businesses, business executives, transitioning military folks, you know, take that next step. And, you know, you know, one of the things that I continually battle with people is they really don't know what they want. You know, yeah. What are they looking for? What kind of, you know, before somebody makes a big leap, what kind of introspection is, if that's a word, what do they, what do they have to look for internally to, uh, to get to that next level? Well, Craig, I think that that's the primary question that people need to ask. And perhaps in many cases, they don't know to ask it or they're afraid to ask that question. And what I found through the work that I've done is that particularly for military leaders, who have had their formative adult years shaped and conditioned through the military, once you remove that uniform, there is a sense of an identity crisis where I developed a very strong attachment to a uniform. And I would also say that this occurs in, in, through businesses for people who develop an identity related to their profession. For example, a doctor or an engineer, they see themselves as an engineer. And then they've got to transition into this leadership role, which for a transitioning military person means that you've got to be able to really kind of step into your most authentic identity and potential beyond the uniform. And for business leaders, what it means is, is that you've now got to take an approach to where you've got to focus more on connecting with and inspiring people than you do on focused on getting and achieving results related to your profession. And so to me, it's all about this identity story. And I think it's been very pronounced for military personnel, in particular because the military demographic is a shrinking minority across our national landscape. The veteran population is only about 6% of the workforce now, and that number is going to go down to about 3% which means that reintegration back into society and into meaningful roles to where they can really apply their leadership is going to become a greater challenge as we continue to move forward. Yeah, no, I, I you know, it's interesting. I agree with you there. Um, I've worked with a lot of senior transitioning military folks and, 
you know, it's really interesting. Some of them have been admirals, generals, colonels, lieutenant colonels. And, you know, if I ask them the question, you know, what are you looking for? You know, they, they, it's almost like they become lost. And you know, me being a you know, former Navy officer, look, I know how capable and competent you know, a Navy admiral is who's absolutely commanded an aircraft carrier or a, you know, an air wing. And you're like, you know, man, you look, you know, dude, you're a, you're an accomplished leader. You know, what is it you're looking for? And then to try to make them break it down to the basics of what do you feel you can, you know, bring to a business? Yeah. It becomes a very hard question for them to answer. I, I, Totally agree with what you're saying there. And, you know, when we, we spend so much time and focus in the military, achieving that next level of responsibility that when we get there, you know, a lot of times we feel like, okay, well, I've arrived. I'm a battalion commander. I'm a brigade commander. I'm a commander of a, of a ship, of a carrier group. I'm an admiral. All these kinds of titles, we tend to believe that we've arrived. And then when we're faced with the proposition of, okay, well, what's next? It's something that, you know, we had 20 plus years of our military life to be able to see that objective that we had with those kinds of command level responsibilities in the military. And now all of a sudden we've got to shift and figure out what, well, now what does that look like as a civilian? And it's a very difficult thing for obviously for military leaders to do. And one of the things that I would really challenge people on who are going through this is to consider the possibility that everything that you've done in the military was a shaping event in order for you to step into an even greater possibility and opportunity beyond the military. And I think that that is a very strong way of framing it and seeing yourself as having a greater potential for what happens next. Yeah, you're adaptable. You can lead. I mean, yeah, you, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the issue there is with a lot of these guys is, you know, I use a baseball analogy. They're all Cy Young Award winners in baseball. Yeah. And then the day comes where they retire, and all of a sudden they're playing rugby. And, you know, the answer is we know you're a good athlete, but it's a different game. So now you got to adapt. Um, it's a it it it's a hard pill. I mean, it's a really tough transition, and it's one that you know you know doesn't start the day you retire. It should start you know a couple years before you retire, at least with the mindset of you know this is going to end in a year or two. I need to start thinking about what's next. Yeah, and. <clears throat> And I think that that's, that's important to do. And, you know, one of the things that I've done is, you know, I've actually transitioned from the military twice. I left as a junior captain uh, back in 2000, and I took a job as an engineer because I had a degree in engineering. So logically, I should then be an engineer. The problem was is that I absolutely hated being an engineer. I, I didn't enjoy the job at all. And there's nothing wrong with being an engineer. It just wasn't for me. And it was a well-paying job. After 9-11 happened, I went back into the military with the determination of exactly what you're saying, which is that I've got to prepare for the next transition. 
So that's why I went back to school and I got a degree in organizational psychology. And then I got my MBA through Keenan Flagler. And ironically enough, you, you'd think that when I retired that I would get it all right. And the fact of the matter is, is that I still got it all wrong. And the main reason why was, is because I was so focused on what I was going to do, like, like you were talking about, you know, whether I was going to play baseball or play rugby. And I wasn't comfortable with who I was as a person and being grounded in who I was both with, you know, my own unique purpose, what my values, understanding my intrinsic strengths to the point that you made when we started talking today, understanding what it is that I want. What's the impact, the greater impact that I want to make? How am I going to be an example out here in civilian society? And I never answered those questions. So I was basically, you know, playing gambling and playing a game of chance, hoping that I would land on the right thing. And over the course of both of my transitions, I had a total of eight jobs over a period of three years before I really kind of hunkered down and focused on this business and took a leap of faith to say, this is how I'm going to give back. This is how I'm going to leave my mark. And what I want to do is I want to inspire other service members, other leaders out there who are going through this same process to have them have faith in themselves that they can make this difference uh, in their communities and be that example for their communities and their families for what happens next. Right. So let's talk about, you know, let's talk about the other 96, you know, you know, 6% are military veterans in the workforce. Let's talk about the other 94%. Sure. You get a lot of folks out there that, you know, want to take the next leap in their life. They want to take the next leap in their career. But if you pin them down and say, what are you, what are you looking for? You know, they're, you know, it's, 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 you know, uh, they are, they're almost clueless. And I give them an exercise quite often. It says, Hey, look, define, you know, what makes you happy? What do you like yeah. to do? And let's, let's focus on that first. What are a few things that you tell business executives who are looking to grow or change to do? Well, I think fundamentally, I think it's very important that they connect with the things that inspired them to where they are now. See, I, th I think what happens a lot of times is, is that we get wrapped up into the urgency of the moment in terms of the things that we're doing in our jobs that we lose sight of what inspired us to kind of go down this path in the first place. And I think that that's one of the important things uh, that I try to do with my clients is very similar with military leaders is that, you know, let's, let's try to define what your purpose is. Let's take a look at your values and how you're representing them in the things that you do. And then challenge them to say, you know, what is, what's the kind of, the best kind of leader that you want to follow to help them determine the kind of leader that they want to be. And very similar to military leaders, because I think leadership is in and of itself that universal construct, is that it's about defining who you want to be um, and how you're going to be that example for others. One of the things that I think is a challenge for business leaders that is not the same as military leaders is, is that in the military, we forge this leader identity from the very first day that you show up as a cadet or that you show up at an officer candidate course, and it is groomed throughout your entire career. 
your entire education and development system is based on your uh, performance and potential as a leader. The same is not true in the civilian world. It is more professionally focused or function focused um, where the best engineer is the one who gets the opportunity. The best doctor is the one who gets an opportunity to, to become a department head or a director. And now they've got to transition from that function focus to that leader identity. And so they've got to make up all that ground that a military leader has uh, throughout their entire career because now they're being given all this responsibility and all these people and there's just this massive void there. So it can be very intimidating and somewhat overwhelming to them. So the best thing to kind of do in those cases is, okay, well, let's start with the basics. What inspired you for this job? What kind of a person do you want to follow? And then really go into that introspective work that you had kind of talked about before to really kind of focus on and seeing in themselves these kinds of qualities so that they can then coach, teach, and mentor those qualities within their team. Do you have a few exercises? I mean, you know, when you, when you, when you give somebody a, you know, say, hey, look, let's start at the basics. You know, sure. where, do you, where do you start? Yeah, so I, I have uh, a lot of different exercises that I use, and a lot of them, um, you know, I, I, they work for both uh, business executives and transitioning military. Some of it deals with being able to connect to, you know, your deeper why. Uh, of your, you know, your story. And it really kind of focuses on finding the commonalities between, you know, your role models that you've had through the past events, which have led a, a which have had a significant impact on you to kind of formulate what your purpose statement might be. And then I actually have a, a what I call a values algebra kind of a program where uh, people will go through and, and they'll identify words and phrases that really kind of resonate with them. And then I'll challenge them in terms of how those things are tested or honored or not honored throughout the course of their lives in order to help them really kind of define the why, which is that deeper purpose, and then the who, which is those values. So um, all of my coaching sessions are really kind of um, this exercise focus, not to kind of do it as a homework, but more to kind of inspire thought. Um, what I found is, is that there are some people will go through and they'll do all the exercises and, and it'll be a great experience for them. And then I found that others will see the exercise and, and just going through a part of it is enough to kind of trigger a lot of thoughts and some of that deeper inspiration that we were talking about for them to get better connected with themselves so that they can really kind of step into their true leadership potential. Right. Yeah. A lot of people, yeah, making a transition is scary. You know, switching jobs. Absolutely. It's scary. Moving from New York to LA or Texas. Yeah. You know, it's scary. Change is strange. You know, in your coaching process, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of people who are the right person in the wrong job and but it's okay they know they're the right person in the wrong job but making the switch is too scary for them so they don't do it how do you help them over that i mean i was that guy and and i think that's that's one of the things that i remember when i have these conversations is that 
those memories are very visceral to me because I, I hated being an engineer when I was an engineer. I, I didn't like it. And in fact, I took a side job working with at-risk young adults in my off time uh, in the evenings. And it got to a point where I was spending more time at the second job than I was at my first job. And my second job was paying pennies on the dollar to what I was making as an engineer. But I just, I, I didn't have enough confidence in myself to step off and try something new. And then when the tech bubble burst, they shut down all the manufacturing plants and, and I no longer had my engineering job. So I, it took, you know, the, the rest of events to kind of take control and force me into making a change before I was willing to do so. And so I appreciate that. But Having made that change, I'm able to kind of recognize and understand all the benefits of go wading into that very uncomfortable space to figure out what it is I truly wanted to do. At the time, it was about going back into the military and really exploring this construct of leadership, which is why I went back to school for psychology and, and got the MBA on top of that. You know, but when I left the second time, it was the determination of, okay, Jason, you've been here before, and now are you willing to kind of step into and take the risk and, and do this business thing? And it, I really was able to kind of leverage my own personal experiences in that. And that's what motivates me and provides me the energy to, to show a lot of compassion to people who are struggling through this because I, I know what it's like to be there. Yeah, I, and yeah, for me, it's, yeah, look, you know, I don't know, my person, maybe my personality is a little bit different, but I've always, you know, typically I'm the guy who walks on the left side of the road when everybody else is on the right. <laughs> um, you know, I actively, you know, and, and, and it's like I actively, I actively do things just to be different. And, you know, it irritates a lot of people, but, you know, what the hell, that's why I own my own business too. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, too, I see people, I talk to people all the time. They're just miserable where they're at. They're, they're in the same company yeah. for 25 years. You know, they're, they're just, they're not willing to take that step out. And my advice to them is, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond had a, had a, had a saying in the, the, the long-term CEO had a saying, you know, we're not in a hurry to make mistakes. And I'm sort of in the mindset in life that, make a lot of mistakes, be in a hurry to make them because that's the best way to learn and, you know, plow forward. How do you teach people to make mistakes and get out of their comfort zone a little bit? Well, I think it comes from the realization that, um, you know, that you can, you can play this game of life safe, but, but it's the only time you're going to get a chance to play this game. And one of the hardest questions that I ask people is, when is the time going to be right? Are you going to wait until your kids are gone? Are you going to wait until, you know, you're in your 60s and, and you're not going to have, you know, a lot of the uh, physical abilities that you had as a younger person? Um, you know, like, when, when are you going to put your faith in yourself to live your life as you want? Because a lot of what we do and a lot of what I hear people talk about is I got to pay for my kid's college. I, I got to pay the mortgage. And all those are very true things. 
And one of the challenges that I asked them is, is, okay, so let's say that your, your son or daughter came to you and they had an opportunity and that opportunity really connected with their passion, but it meant that they would have to release this death grip that they have on this idea of security. What advice would you give them? And overwhelmingly, one of the things that I hear is, is that, well, I would tell them to, to go pursue their dream. And it's, the obvious question that follows is, is what would it take for you to kind of really follow your own advice there? Um, yeah. Cause you're willing to have enough faith in your son or daughter to figure out the mortgage, to figure out, you know, the, the college tuition or, or whatever the, the retirement uh, nest egg, you're willing to put that faith in them. So what would it take for you to have that faith in yourself and to be that example for them so that when they're faced with that challenge, they're be willing to say, you know what? I remember when my dad stepped off to do this. Yep. He took a chance on his own happiness to be the kind of person he wanted to be when my mom did this and they did it. And I think we lose sight of the fact that while we're so busy trying to provide these material things and elements of security, that sometimes the greatest thing that we can do for the people we love is to be the example of the man or woman that we, we hope for them to become. Yeah, you know, and and, and uh, so here's where I'll get kind of direct, you know, to everybody. I, a lot of people, I cannot, if I had a nickel for everybody that told me this, I wouldn't have to work ever again in my life. <laughs> and here's the phrase, my son or daughter is in seventh grade. I can't relocate to a better job because that would mean taking them out of school and putting them in a new environment and shattering their lives. To which my response mentally, I very rarely say this directly, is if you took your kids out of their safe environment and put them in a new school on the yeah. other side of the country and put them in a strange environment and made them find their way a little bit, you'd be doing them a favor because you're teaching them how to adapt, you're teaching them how to be diverse, you're teaching them life skills that they would not get with the same kids in the same place for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. And, and you know, every executive who's out there listening to this, who thinks that you know they're gonna shatter their kids. I moved 17 times. By the time I was 25 years old, I moved 17 times in my life. Man, you got me beat. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I love it. I, I, there's not an environment I can't go to where I'm just not like, okay, cool. I'm in New York City. Great. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm in LA. Great. Here's what I'm going to do. I love it. And, you know, it, my, I, I thank my father for, you know, getting transferred a lot because yeah. it made my brother and I, you know, adapt. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a great point. And the other thing that, that I would, that I would add to that is, you know, what kind of example are you setting for your kids in terms of how you're showing up for them? Because if you're miserable in your job and that's what they see, the question you got to ask yourself is, is, is the relocation worth them seeing that side of you all the time? Uh, because I, I don't think we're really paying attention and we're so focused on what, we, what we're calling these responsibilities and what I think our ego is telling us we have to do in these definitions of success that a lot of times we're losing sight of how we're really showing up for our families. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, because you always hear these stories about how these, these families that don't have a lot have this tremendous happiness and the strong core of love that they all share. Um, and, you know, sometimes it, it's worth remembering that how we show up is probably more important than all the things that we provide. You know, being able to be responsive and compassionate to our kids who have a bad day at school, who are struggling to make a sports team or, you know, how to break up with a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, because we're not all burned out from our job and we can actually be present and there for them. Yeah. Sometimes I would argue that maybe that's more valuable than the challenge of relocating to another place. So I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I think it comes down to, um, yeah, what kind of the conversation that you're teaching your kids when you sit there and say, we're going to move halfway across the country because I got a great opportunity, which is going to pay me more money, which is going to allow us to live a little bit of better lifestyle and help pay for your college. And it's going to be a scary transition, Mm -hmm. but we're all in the canoe together and we're all going to get the benefits of the upside and we're going to work together to manage the strangeness that comes along with that. Yeah. I.e., you know, we're all in this canoe. That's a heck of a lot of better. That's a, that's a hell of a lot better conversation to have your kids than, Hey, you got to go to college. I got to pay for this stuff. Don't mind the fact that I'm miserable 40 hours a week. Yeah. You're going to go to college. I I don't think kids understand that or or want to understand it. Right. And, you know, and let's face it, the whole dynamic of, of the next, we're, we're assuming that our kids are going to want to do all the things that we did. And, and I think it's nice to make perhaps those assumptions, but the dynamic of what these next generations really want is changing. Um, And a lot of kids are not necessarily going to college right away. Um, You know, they, one of the examples that I always fall back on when we talk about, you know, the saving money, um, you know, I, I come from a very blue collar kind of a family. Both parents had to work. My mom had to work the third shift at the hospital. You know, we didn't have money when, when I was growing up. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I ended up going to West Point was because, you know, um, I had an opportunity there. Um, and because I, I didn't think that my parents could have it to pay for our college. My wife really comes from the same kind of background. And between the two of us, you know, we've got five degrees that our parents never paid for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I I always challenge people with is, is that, you know, what would it take for you to believe that, that your child has the ability to do that for themselves? And if they did, how would you show up differently for them? Like, what kinds of things would you do differently if you weren't worried about the money? And what I find very remarkable is, is that many times they're, they're, they would be spending more time with their families. They would be going on more vacations. They would be more present. They would be doing things like coaching sports teams and being more actively involved in the school. And what, what, I, what I'm afraid of for a lot of these people is, is that when those opportunities and those times have passed by and you can't get them back, that's when they're going to regret those things. Right. You know, kids and, you know, it's, you know, kids are, you know, today they need to be adaptable. Absolutely. The world is, you know, it, it's, it, the world is a fast paced environment. Technology changes. People who adapt will thrive. Or people have, who have the ability to adapt 
will thrive. People who don't have the ability to adapt will be left behind. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's, you know, maybe as, you know, in our own careers, that's what we need to be teaching our kids is try everything. Um, you know, learn it, make mistakes, adapt, figure it out. And, you know, you'll have the confidence that no matter what comes your way, we'll be great for you. Absolutely. And, and, and I, you know, remember always that the greatest example that they see, whether it's what you want them to see or what you don't want them to see is, is you and how you show up every day. Um, and I think that that's very important to remind ourselves of that, you know, as leaders, the first people that we lead are the people who live within our own household. Absolutely. And how we show up there is so important. Um, and if we're not willing to tend to that, it's going to be really hard to project that leader persona outside. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt. I, I mean, it's a, so when somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I'm ready to make that transition, you help them with the, uh, you, you help them, you know, you take that inside view to really get a good idea about themselves. What's the next step? You know, do you tell them, Hey, look, you know, let's you know, put it on paper. Let's define it. Do, you, do they create a personal mission statement for where they go? Well, it's interesting that you asked that question because what, one of the things that I have them do, and it's another exercise that I have them do, is I actually have them write a statement of intent for their life. Um, and the statement of intent is based on the military format of uh, the commander's intent, which is, which is kind of uh, from the Army, where there is a broader purpose statement, which is the bigger why that we had talked about earlier. And then it gets into the method, which is these are the things, kind of the key tasks of the things I want to achieve in my life. And then we talk about the end state. And the end state is what winning looks like. And we approach end state from several different perspectives. You know, from my own perspective in terms of what do I achieve for myself? What do I achieve for my team? What do I achieve in regards to the mission of whatever organization or company or business that I'm working with? And then the end state regarding my community impact. And so we, we take that as, you know, that's kind of the action statement which guides the things that they're going to do. And, and so kind of the guidance, you know, the overarching guidance for them to, to follow or not to follow, it's really up to them, is that, you know, to try and see if they can make decisions in their lives that are consistent with this. And when it's not, maybe they need to adjust that because it is a living document, but it really comes down to formulating that statement of intent for what they want to achieve for, for the next half of their life. What about companies? You're coaching, you know, you're working with companies. Yeah. You know, I, I always thought that this would be, you know, I know more and more companies are thinking about doing, some are starting to do it. Why don't more and more companies offer career coaching or you know, coaching in general to their executives? Uh, my own opinion about that is that I, I think it's something that they don't necessarily understand. They don't appreciate really kind of the intimacy and the vulnerability that goes into building a coaching relationship. Um, and I think that that's probably one of the greatest limiting factors, you know, 
I think the next generation has a better appreciation for that. Cause you got to remember, you know, if I, if I excel and I progress up the corporate ladder, the model that I have for success is, is the path that I took. And so if my path didn't involve coaching, then I'm not going to understand why it would benefit somebody. But I think, you know, because there is a greater disconnection cross generationally between organizations and between levels and echelons within organizations, I think that the younger generations are going to want more of this personalized engagement for executive development. And so I think that it will continue to grow. Uh, but I think one of the greatest limiting factors is, is that many of the people who have succeeded in, and who are in these positions of authority, they didn't need the coaching for them to get to that point. So it's hard to sell them on why somebody else might need it. Yeah, and the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that I think the higher you up, the higher you are in the food chain, quite frankly, the more coaching you probably need because it's lonely at the top. If nothing else, you've got an independent somebody or another to bounce ideas off of, to bounce thoughts, fears, you know, whatever off of. Yeah, and I think that's very important too, is that that's the value of a coach, you know, especially when you're up there because everybody turns to you. And so who do you kind of go to, to, to have your reflection, to help challenge yourself to ask you those very difficult questions that maybe nobody else is asking you so that you can stay really oriented on your path to achieve your intent and the things that you want, you know, and that's the value of a coach at that level. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, the benefit of, you know, because we both come from the military is, is that this is an element, this, this coaching, teaching, mentorship role of the leader is something that is very deeply ingrained in our culture in a way that it is not ingrained in a lot of the corporate culture. So we grew up with this uh, through the military. And what I'm finding is, is that there is a greater void and commensurately a greater need for this in the civilian world. Yeah, well, the, you know, it's the... I find that you, you, know, you mentioned it earlier on, and the, the civilian world is not understanding the transitioning military member. Um, it's a, you know, it's, it's almost a different language. Yes. The transitioning military member is very much a generalist. You take a young captain or a lieutenant or a major and you throw something at them, they'll take the ball and run with it. Yeah. Um, and they'll do well with it. You put them in corporate America, and people will say, what can you do? And they'll say, you know, if you give me a project, I'll take it, and I'll learn it, and I'll run with it. Yep. And, and I think for, you know, in a lot of ways, I think that, you know, for business and military members to really start to succeed in integrating those languages are going to have to just those, those languages are going to have to be taught. Now I'm not sure how that's done on a micro scale, but maybe it's more community involvement or whatever. But you know, I, I think that you know to get the the mindsets more in parallel needs to occur. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of work that we have to do to kind of cross that divide, and and we spend a lot of time in the transition space, uh, really kind of 
focused on the transitioning service member. And I think one of the things that we're losing is um, we're not spending enough time educating the civilian society about the potential of these men and women because, you know, and I'm sure your career was the same way where regardless of your MOS as an officer, you can really be put into a lot of different kinds of challenging positions, whether it's human resources, education, logistics, operations, intelligence, um, which is, you know, the, the other form of marketing. Um, you can do all these jobs and you become very, you know, attuned to kind of learning on the job and using these as opportunities for your growth. And, you know, in the civilian world, they're really kind of looking to focus you on one function. And you are a multifunctional kind of a person trying to fit in a one function kind of a world uh, where your greatest quality is to be able to connect and inspire people, which in many cases is the greatest challenge that a lot of civilian organizations have. So that is, you know, that disconnect there is the greatest challenge that I see, you know, when it comes to successful integration not necessarily just of veterans into the workplace, but also that leadership potential that can help our communities, our corporations, our businesses, our neighborhoods. Like right. we're also losing on that. Yeah. No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a company that's been doing a really good job is Amazon. Yeah. Amazon sort of looks at their business and they look at a military operation and they go, you know, we're, we're kind of like a military operation. We're, we're highly caffeinated. We're a little bit decentralized in that we do a lot of different things. We're very operations focused. Um, who can adapt to this? And I'm, I'm seeing more and more military people going right to Amazon and, and they're fitting in well. And I, and I, and I kind of like that because Amazon yeah. is going, Hey, look, what type of personality do we need? Well, it's, it's that guy, you know, Businesses maybe just need to open their minds up, you know, just open the aperture a little bit and say, look, you know, it's, let's quit looking at finance or manufacturing or operations and, you know, let's just go get a good person in there. Yeah. And, and I think part of it is, and I think this is what, perhaps one of the reasons why Amazon does it well is because it's not just about solving today's problem. It's about tomorrow's challenge and who's best equipped to do that. And when you look at the things we ask military leaders to do in this, in this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world, there is nobody who has better field training and preparation to operate in that environment than these military leaders. And I think Amazon recognizes that. So it's not just about winning today, but also how do I build a team that can seize the opportunity to win tomorrow? And I think that's what gives them that competitive edge. Yeah, and the the thing is too, it's 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 a heck of a lot easier for businesses to teach people their business, yes, than it is to teach people how to be good, or how to be leaders, or how to get stuff done. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if you find out an intelligent, highly motivated person, get them in the chair. In two three months, they'll figure out your business, and life will be grand. But if you find somebody who's functionally good, but can't figure out how to grow, you know, you've got them in one, you, you've got them filling one little gap, you know, for a long, long time to come. And if you grow, they're not going to fill it, you're gonna have to go find somebody else.
That's right. So it's an interesting thing. Absolutely. Hey, how do how do people uh, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, so uh, my website is ordinaryherocoaching.com, um, or you can reach me by email, and it's just Jason, my last name, Ron Caroni, at ordinaryherocoaching.com. And uh, people can connect with me there. They can ask me questions. They can, um, they can schedule some time to meet with me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I look forward to continuing to have opportunities to help people. Let's uh, let's you know. Let's have you back on in a month or so. That sounds great. Talk about some new. Uh, you know, talk about some of the great things you're doing, and um, you know, continue the conversation. Absolutely, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.